Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Uh, it's been a few Sundays uh, since I've had an opportunity to teach, and so just so grateful to be back, just thankful for our team, too, and uh, the, the way that we were able to make our way through the holidays and gather together. So welcome to those that are at the downtown campus and watching online, and from the services that we had on Christmas Day to New Year's Day, uh, it was just great, uh, great to kind of move through the holidays uh, with the church gathering, too, and just being encouraged that whole time. And so I'm excited about where we're, we're headed next. Uh, you've heard this idea, hopefully already this morning, about what it means to be part of a grow group and get into the, uh, the community life of River Tree. And one of the reasons why we encourage you to do that is because on Sundays, we know that We've kind of strategically put in place this opportunity for us to be together and to hear God's word together uh, and to see what God is doing in the life, uh, in our own lives and our own hearts through the preaching of the word. But we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word as well. And so our grow groups help kind of create moments where you can apply. What did I hear? And now you're with a group of people, friends that are going to encourage you. And like, the question is, what did God say to you? And what did you hear in God's word today? And then how do you begin to see that pushed out? And I just think the, the, the good and hard work of the disciple is to hear a message like you're going to hear this morning and go like, how does this make a difference in my marriage? How does this make a difference in how I think about my finances? What does this mean for me and my work ethic, right? That's, that's the work. We don't necessarily have to be topical in the sermons to, for them to apply to our lives. But the good work is like, what did God say to me in this passage? And how do I see that applied? And a grow group is a fantastic place to do that in. So if you're looking for one of those to get involved in, uh, make sure you talk to someone about that today before you leave. We'd love to point you to one that hopefully is close to you, uh, maybe with some people that you already know that would love to be an encouragement to you. We have been in the, the gospel of Matthew, kind of working our way through that over last year. We took a break around November, kind of changed some of our series topic, and now we're back. So the gospel of Matthew will be the place where we'll be over the next few months. And so if you or looking for something to study, a way to just follow along with the church, uh, this is a great way to kind of guide you to, so that you can be reading the same passages that we're reading on Sunday morning. So the chapter 9 in Matthew chapter 9 is we're going to pick up this morning. Matthew chapter 8, where we were just a few weeks back, was this really special passage, this chapter of Jesus expressing power. Coming out of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus saying so many things that were new and authoritative and, and strong. Now he comes out into Matthew chapter 8, and there's this expression, this is authority over cleansing the leper, healing the centurion's servant, uh, calming the storm, uh, even, even exercising demons, right? There's something now about Jesus that we see, not just in word, but also, again, in deed as well, Jesus is expressing and as we get to chapter 9, I just love this section of scripture that we're going to look at because not only does Jesus perform another miracle, right? That, that power is there, but Jesus gives us the message behind the miracle. Jesus is going to talk to us about his mission. Like, what is he really here to do? Is it just to heal? Is it, is it just to show power and authority? Or, or is there something more? And so I love this section. I think it's going to be uh, an encouragement to you this morning. So Matthew chapter 9, just the first couple of verses is where we'll start. And then we're going to move through this section a little bit more. But here's what it says. And getting into a boat, he crossed over, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
So we'll pause right there and I'll give you a, a, a geographical note. As Matthew opens up and he says this, they crossed over the sea and Jesus came to his own city. What, what, what city is he talking about? In the Gospels, in Jesus' ministry, there's, there's really four main areas in which Jesus kind of moves in and out of. One of those is Bethlehem, where he was born. And close to Bethlehem in the south of Israel is Jerusalem, where he will die and experience the resurrection. But north of that is the place where Jesus grew up, Nazareth, around the Sea of Galilee. And Capernaum is also around the Sea of Galilee. And this is the area where Jesus seems to be doing most of his ministry this is where he's doing a lot of his teaching. This is where he's calling the disciples. And so Jesus is in Capernaum as he crosses the sea. He ends up in this place. And this particular scene of people bringing Jesus a paralytic, you might have kind of a, a, a faint reference of this. Like this, this story is one connected within other gospels. Mark's gospel, chapter two, Luke, chapter five. They also give us this story and they give it to us with a little more detail. But it's the story of some friends bringing Jesus, a paralytic man. And if you remember this, they bring him on a mat, but they can't get to Jesus because the place where Jesus is at is crowded. There's no room in this particular house. And so this group of friends take on a mission impossible type of moment where they go up onto the roof. They open up the roof and they drop their friend down through the ceiling in front of Jesus. Historically, the, the, the roofs in this time were flat. So that's kind of how they're doing it. There wasn't a pitch to these roofs. They're, they're up there, they're flat. These places were gathering spots. You could eat up there. You could, either grow, you could even grow a garden. It wasn't uncommon for some of these roofs to have a foot of soil on top of them above the timbers and the branches you know, to kind of create that waterproof. But yet it was very functional. And so this is what they've done. They, they've opened up the roof and they've dropped their friend through it. Um, just this last week, I, I was in the attic and I stepped through the ceiling. Um, you know, I, I, this has happened. This happens quite a bit at our house. I'm not exactly sure why. My youngest son did this about six months ago. We still have the hole in our garage. And so I just added to that. So now, you know, when it gets repaired, we're just going to repair both of these spots. But I mean, when I stepped through, like as the sheetrock came down, as the insulation came down, there was this huge commotion. You could hear Jennifer going like, are you okay? What's happening? You know, the door opens up. It's a mess. And I just want to, I want to make sure that you don't miss that because as this roof open, opens up and this man is dropped down, understand whatever was taking place before that has stopped. I mean, the gathering has been disrupted. There is roof debris, insulation, soil, branches on people, right? This, this thing is like incredible. And this guy drops down in front of Jesus in all of the chaos. And there he is kind of sitting before Jesus. I love how our children's ministry lessons can take this passage and, and they'll make a couple observations, which I think are great. They'll say things like, notice these friends. What kind of friends do you have? Are you that kind of friend? Are you a good friend who brings others to Jesus, right? You see that it's easy to, it's an easy takeaway that if something good was going to happen in this man's life, it was going to come through some friends. And I think that's still true, still true in my life, still true in your life, that a lot of what God wants to do often happens through other people who are going out of their way to do something special. And not only that, but all the gospels uh, reference this idea that Jesus saw their faith. 
So is it the friend's faith? Is it the paralytic man? Is it all of them? Right? There's this question about what is he actually saying? What, what's going on when Jesus says I, he sees their faith? There's something in this moment too, right? I think that Jesus, they, they recognized there was something special about Jesus. That, that Jesus could. Jesus was sufficient. Like the, the, if we could just get in front of Jesus, right, something will happen. And that is the essence of faith. Faith is always saying, if I can just get in the presence of God, if I can just be near, that's faith. A drawing near, a getting closer. But there's something more too than just the friends and just their faith that begins to be come through as Matthew wants us to see. As the man is placed in front of Jesus, Jesus tells him, take heart, take heart. And don't worry. And I guess you could say, well, if you had just ripped open the roof of one of your friend's houses, you know, dropped in on his social gathering where there was a significant teacher, everyone gathered there for that. Like, you could be a little nervous. Like, I am sorry. Like, should I have done this? Like, I'm here. But Jesus says, don't worry. In fact, he says, be of good cheer. That's what that means. Take heart. Be of good cheer. And then he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, as... As Matthew records that for us, understand that statement is meant to be more shocking to us than the hole in the roof and the disrupted crowd. There's something that is happening in this moment. Imagine this man before Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, your sins are forgiven. I will say, I think it's, you could almost wonder, did, uh, did Jesus miss the point? Like, this man's paralyzed. Like, the roof has been opened up so that this man could be healed. And Jesus is talking about sins. What, what's happening here? Like that's, that's really, the, the, the passage opens itself up for lots of really good questions. We experienced all the cold weather just like you did. Uh, coming through the holidays. And so when it was the day after Christmas, we were thankful that we'd already made some family plans to go south to find warmer weather. And so we're a few hours out of town, we're getting lunch, when all of a sudden uh, the, the social media and the calls and the reports of what's happening in Huntsville with the snow and the ice, you know, we start to learn of those things. And we're seeing real-time moments and stories of like friends trapped on Governor's Drive or Cecil Ashburn abandoning their vehicles, right? walking home like people are like that might have been even been you like you may have been taking people into your house you know for that day because nobody was getting home nobody was getting back to where they wanted to get to if they had to get through governors or Cecil Ashburn so let me take you back to that moment just for a moment all right so imagine with me that's you you're crossing over Cecil Ashburn the car begins to slide you realize that it is in a ditch and there's no way that you are there's no way you're getting home you start to put out the phone calls and you're hearing from people like there's no vehicles that are going to make it to you. Like you're on your own. You're cold. You're, you're making a decision at that point to take everything in your car that you can bundle up with and start walking when all of a sudden you see a vehicle, a Toyota 4Runner coming to you in your direction. Now this is a like, it's not a typical 4Runner. It's beefier, right? It's got a lift. It's got these aggressive tires on it. You're looking at this and like, this thing seems to be like made for moments just like this. And as it's coming to you, it's got like a winch on the front. It's like this towing package. You're like, this is going to be fantastic. And to your delight, as the driver rolls down his window, it's one of our pastors, Scott Weeks. 
Scott opens up the door. You realize he's got like ice spikes on his hiking boots. Actually, he does. He actually does have those. And he, he's walking over to you. And he says, I just wanted to tell you, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> I mean, you can appreciate the sentiment right in that moment, but you're like, hey, are you going to rescue me? Am I getting down the mountain in your vehicle? Like, what, what's happening here? Right? That's, that's the scene that Jesus is creating with this man. This man has an expectation, but Jesus bypasses what everybody is waiting to see, and he begins to talk about something else. The roof has been torn open. The friends are waiting, and Jesus confronts their expectations. He confronts their expectations. You know, churches wrestle with this every Sunday. There are a lot of churches that um, they'll organize their preaching and teaching around, well, what's happening now? What's culturally relevant What's the felt need? And if we can bring insight into what people are dealing with in this moment, if we can bring understanding to what's happening within our culture, we can reach more people, right? Everybody wrestles with that. There's a tension there. But Jesus seems to miss the issue at hand. The roof has been opened up. There's a man in front of him paralyzed. He needs to be healed. And Jesus is talking about something else. The man has come to have his legs healed, and Jesus is talking about sin, Jesus is speaking to more than the man's perceived or immediate problem. Jesus is speaking to more than just this man's perceived problem. And I do ever, you ever daydream? Like you, and the theme of your daydream is you go back. You go back into your life and you, you wonder, what would it be like if this or that hadn't happened what if what if that was had been good rather than bad where would my life be i don't know you can go back to middle school and what would have been look like for you just to have made the team rather than to have been cut for you later not to have been injured for that relationship to have worked out, for your family to have stayed together, for that health issue that you deal with now, that you, that you weren't having to deal with that, for, for anxiety, for depression that you're familiar with because of life circumstances. Like, what if you could go back and change that? What if you could have one do-over? If you were this man, and you had a chance to be before Jesus. You had a chance for him to touch your life, to touch this area, to touch this mistake, right? This is what we're talking about. What difficulty would you undo? And what Jesus is giving us in this moment, what's important for us to see with this man is Jesus is telling him that his biggest problem is not his circumstance, but it's the way that he thinks and lives within his circumstances. His biggest problem is not his circumstance. Our greatest issue is not what has happened to us, what someone else has done to us. Our greatest issue is that you could think and live your life without a secure reference point to God. That's it. 
that we could live our lives, that we could chart our course, that we could make our decisions and never really come to terms that your life is beholden to a creator God who has created you and purposed your life for a certain kind of glory. This man thinks, if I could just walk again, if I could just run, if I could just work, if I could just participate, like, I, and, and we get that. There, there are no wheelchair ramps. There's no centers for the disabled. Like this man's life is hard. This man's life is outside of the natural and normal rhythm that he would love to participate in. And this is what we begin to see. He thinks if he could just be healed, he'd be okay. But being okay, it's tricky. Some of our lives have been blessed by incredible circumstances, and yet we find it really difficult to stay at peace, to maintain a level of joy. Right? Our, this man's problem is not what he suffers. It's not his circumstances. It's sin. It's sin. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me. My biggest issue is not my circumstances. My biggest issue is sin. And Jesus knows that this man, in all of what he's done to get in front of him, is hoping for too little. He's hoping for too little. You know, often our pressing need is not our primary one. And often the thing that we want most is not really the thing that we need the most. And Jesus begins to move in this way. Jesus knows that the way that this man thinks about his life, the way that he lives in his circumstances, it's the question is, are you living as someone who is forgiven? Has that changed in you? Has that status changed? Are you living? Are you someone who thinks and lives forgiven? Because there is no material prosperity. There is no renewed physical health that even compares to having a restored and right relationship with God. None of it. Now, in just a moment, Jesus is going to heal this man. He's going to do that. If you know the story, like where this is headed, Jesus is going to heal this man from his condition. And I love the way Jesus adds that layer to this because it's not just kind of this kind of spiritual theological problem, but Jesus is also interested in what's tangible and what's material. In fact, the gospel moves forward telling us that there will be one day where everything that is material and tangible will be renewed. We will live in a new heaven and a new earth and those things that are broken will be repaired. Those things that are lost will be found and restored and things will be fixed and, and that's where our life is going. But Jesus is doing something significant right now. Jesus is telling him, I've come to accomplish something even better than that. Listen, it would be easy to see this man as just a paralyzed man. If you saw this person on the street, you would go like, my heart breaks for you. I want your legs better. I want you healed. That would be an easy thing for us to feel, to see this man in his state. But Jesus sees more. He sees more than just what we would see on the outside. He sees more than just his physical condition. And because Jesus sees more, I tell you that he loves more. He loves more. Jesus sees this whole man. And he's offering this man a better savior than healed legs. He's offering this man a saved eternity. The gospel helps us 
time and time again kind of suspend this idea that if this just worked out, if this circumstance would just change, then I would be okay. And many of us get up on a Sunday morning and we come to church and it's not uncommon for us to think, I just need to go to church so that I can get a blessing. I can just get a boost. I'm dealing with this really hard thing in my life right now. I'm here. I'm seeking God to kind of deal with this, to help me with this, to strengthen me, to change this, to fix this. I'm praying about this so that when this gets resolved, I can go back to really living, to doing the things that I want to do. But Jesus is saying something here better than that, better than our circumstances changing. Jesus is going to change hearts, restore a relationship with you and the Lord. And he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And in this modest, almost humble way, Jesus seems to be aware of what this man's relationship is with God. That he's, he's mediating something. He's clarifying something about how this man and God are connected. Well, the story continues in verse 3. Listen to what the onlookers experience. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this Man is blaspheming. Now these onlookers, these scribes, there was, a, there was a group of religious leaders from the temple in Jerusalem that were commissioned to go out and to investigate different teachers, different rabbis. There would always be some up-and-coming teacher, some rabbi that was gaining popularity. And these men would go and they would investigate and they would listen and they'd say, how true is this man preaching God's word? How true is he being kind of faithful to the law and to what we understand. And then they would report back to the temple on what they had discovered. And what Jesus is saying, it's alarming them. And why is it alarming them? Because they know he is highlighting forgiveness. He can't say your sins are forgiven because that's something only God could do. Forgiving sins is a, is a, is a God accomplishment, right? This is what they're struggling with. This is why they believe that Jesus has stepped out of bounds. Let me, let, me, let me highlight this in just a way. So um, I saw Tyler here earlier. Morning, Tyler. Uh, Tyler's a really likable guy. Um, he's athletic, competitive, but every now and then his temper gets the best of him. I'm telling you, sir, this isn't Tyler. So sorry, I'm not trying to review. But so Tyler one day uh, sees Bill. Hey, Bill. And just punches Bill in the face. I don't know why Tyler did that. I mean, you know, you could speculate. Maybe Bill said something. Maybe, maybe something Tyler was having a bad day. I don't know, but... Tyler punched Bill in the face. Well, seconds later, what's surprising again is Jay got up, walks over to Tyler, and says, Tyler, I forgive you. Bill's like, what? What's happening? Where was Jay? Jay wasn't even involved in the situation. Like, I'm the one who's been punched in the face. And Jay gets up and he just walks over and like, forgives Tyler? Like, how does that work? This is the tension. This is what, like, listen, it's not that forgiveness wasn't available within Israel. It's not that there wasn't a system. There wasn't a way that you could have your sins forgiven. In fact, it was an expensive, costly, messy way to experience forgiveness. You would find an unblemished calf or lamb. You would travel with it to the temple in Jerusalem. You would take it before the priest. The priest would sacrifice that animal, spread its blood over the temple, over, over the altar, and the animal would be consumed. Right? It was, and then you'd leave forgiven. And so it's not, that, 
It's not that forgiveness wasn't possible, but you just can't say someone's forgiven. That is only something God could do. That is a God-sized task, and now you're hearing it. Jesus is claiming to do something that only God can do. Jesus is claiming to be the one who's been offended. He's claiming that this man's sins have been an offense to him. And that's how he's able to forgive. He's assuming the place of God. So look on with me. Verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your heart? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Jesus says, which is easier, right? He's, he's posing this, this dilemma. Like you could say your sins are forgiven, but that, that's who's gonna know for sure. That feels uh, internal, eternal, spiritual, right? Who's gonna know that for sure? But if you say, get up, and walk, well, man, we can verify the power of that right away. We'll know in a few seconds whether that man is healed or not, whether he can walk or not. And so Jesus, in order to validate and verify the spiritual, heals this man. And as he does, Jesus is saying to all of us, forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is possible. Because as he heals this man, Jesus is taking a step to accomplish the very forgiveness. Jesus is taking a step to that messy, expensive sacrifice of his life on the cross. So when Jesus speaks to the disease caused by sin and heals it, he's verifying his ability, his authority, his mission for you and I also to experience the forgiveness of sin. Jesus tells this man, rise, walk, and go home. And I love that. I love that when this man experiences forgiveness and healing, he goes home. Because being forgiven is going home. It's going home to God. It's going home to the life that you were meant for, God's natural design. Forgiveness restores community. And so it's appropriate as Jesus pronounces forgiveness, he also sends him home. And this man moves because forgiven people are empowered Forgiven people accomplish things. Forgiven people move. There's nothing that moves us like the assurance that your life has been fully pardoned by God. And the church has always appreciated this fact. It's always celebrated that this forgiveness of sins, it's like the ultimate place. There's really, Matthew's gospel hasn't gotten deeper than this point so far that when we're in a relationship with God, when it's restored and when it's, it's established, there's something good that happens in our life. Listen to what King David says in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? I love this work that's happening here because have you noticed that the man hasn't done anything? 
Jesus has healed him and all he's done is come through the roof and lays before him. It's not his virtue that's highlighted. He hasn't promised to keep God's word better. He hasn't kept, we don't know how well he's kept God's law. It's not that at all. He's simply put right on the basis of faith. And that's where the gospels continue to come back to. Faith in Jesus. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Are we asking for lesser things? Are we coming to God often with the circumstances that we want him to change and really God is saying, oh, I want to do something in your heart. Let me start there. Let's pray. How do you know how your relationship with God is? How do you know if you're experiencing peace and rest from a restored relationship? A person that rests in the forgiveness of sins. It's when one's thoughts of God do not remind you of your sins, but rather that they're forgiven. That the thought of one's past are not reminders of how badly, we, how badly we've done, but how much we're loved. Thank you, Jesus, for pronouncing this man forgiven. Thank you that you are more ready to forgive than maybe we thought. This man's faith, I don't see confession in it. I don't see real repentance. So it is, it is incomplete at best. But your grace is aggressive. And you are so ready to speak. And you're so ready to accomplish something in this man's life. And because you are, because you're ready to do the deeper thing, it means we can trust you with everything else because you're willing to go to the cross to accomplish what we truly need, it means we can believe you and trust you, hold on to you for every other life circumstance. But today, as we approach this morning, what would it look like for us to suspend just this morning the things that we wish you would change in our life and ask you just to deal with our hearts? Just to change me to apply your power and grace to my life. That if I can believe and see what you've already done, what you've already accomplished on the cross, and what you're ready to do again in my life, providing forgiveness, that that would be enough. That that would make me okay. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room today that hasn't experienced that moment of faith and belief in Jesus that restores, that cleanses the grace in which we would experience that makes us debt-free with you and loved more than we thought. Lord, would you make that happen? Would that be a moment for someone even today here at Cove, online, downtown, that we would celebrate that and for others, as we leave, that we would be greatly encouraged that we would leave here thinking and living as forgiven people and to see what that looks like, to see what the next decisions would be.